0: Welcome to the Sleep Charming Podcast, the podcast where I help you drift off for a good night's sleep or simply take a moment to relax. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a review or a rating. So sit back, take a deep breath, and let me read you an old story. Happy families are all alike. Every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. Everything was in confusion in the Oblonsky's house. The wife had discovered that the husband was carrying on an intrigue with a French girl who had been a governess in their family and she had announced to her husband that she could not go on living in the same house with him. This position of affairs had now lasted three days and not only the husband and wife themselves but all the members of their family and household painfully conscious of it. Every person in the house felt that there was no sense in their living together, and that the stray people brought together by chance in an inn had more in common with another than they, the members of the family and household of the Oblonskys. The wife did not leave her room, the husband had not been at home for three days, the children ran wild all over the house, the English governess quarrelled with the housekeeper and wrote to a friend, asking her to look out for a new situation. The man cook had walked off the day before, just at dinner time. The kitchen-maid and the coachman had given warning. Three days after the quarrel, Prince Stepan Akajevich Oblonsky, Steva, as he was called in the fashionable world, woke up at his usual hour, that is, at eight o'clock in the morning. Not in his wife's bedroom, but on the leather-covered sofa in his study. He turned over his stout, well-cared-for person on the springy sofa, as though he would sink into a long sleep again. He vigorously embraced the pillow on the other side, and buried his face into it. But all at once, he jumped up, sat up on the sofa, and opened his eyes. Yes, yes, how was it now, he thought. Going over his dream. Now, how was it, to be sure? Alabin was giving a dinner at Darmstadt. No, not Darmstadt, but something American. Yes, but then Darmstadt was in America. Yes, Alabin was giving a dinner on glass tables, and the table sang Il Mio Tesoro. Not, no, not, not El Mio Tesoro, though, but something better. And there were some sort of little decanters on the table. And there were women there too, he remembered. Stepan Akadjevich's eyes twinkled gaily, and he pondered with a smile. Yes, it was nice, very nice. There was a great deal more that was delightful, only there's no putting it into words, or expressing it in one's thoughts awake. And noticing a gleam of light peeping in beside one of the search curtains, he cheerfully dropped his feet over the edge of the sofa and felt about with them for his slippers, a present on his last birthday, worked for him by his wife on gold colored Morocco. And as he had done every day for the last nine years, he stretched out his hand without getting up towards the place where his dressing gown always hung in his bedroom. And thereupon he suddenly remembered that he was not sleeping in his wife's room, but in the study. And why? The smile vanished from his face. He knitted his brows. Oh, he muttered, recalling everything that had happened. And again, every detail of his quarrel with his wife was present to his imagination. All the hopelessness of his position, and worst of all, his own fault. Yes, she won't forgive me, and she can't forgive me. And the most awful thing about it is that it's all my fault, all my fault, though I'm not to blame. He reflected. Oh, he kept repeating in despair, as he remembered the acutely painful sensations caused him by this quarrel. Most unpleasant of all was the first minute when, on coming happy and good humoured from the theatre with a huge pear in his hand for his wife, he had not found his wife in the drawing room. To his surprise, he had not found her in the study either and saw her at last in her bedroom with the unlucky letter that revealed everything in her hand. She, his Dolly, forever fussing and worrying over the household details, and limited in her ideas as he considered, was sitting perfectly still with the letter in her hand, looking at him with an expression of horror, despair, and indignation. What's this? This, she asked, pointing to the letter, And at this recollection, Stepan Akadjovic, as is so often the case, was not so much annoyed at the facts itself, as at the way in which he had met his wife's words. There happened to him at that instant, what does happen to people when they are unexpectedly caught in something very disgraceful. He did not succeed in adapting his face to the position in which he was placed towards by his wife, by the discovery of his fault. Instead of being hurt, denying, defending himself, begging for forgiveness, instead of remaining indifferent even. Anything would have been better than what he did do. His face utterly involuntarily, reflex spinal action, reflected Stepan Akadzhevich, who was fond of physiology, utterly involuntarily assumed its habitual good-humoured and therefore idiotic smile. This idiotic smile he could not forgive himself. Catching sight of that smile, Dolly shuddered as though at physical pain, broke out with her characteristic heat into a flood of cruel words and rushed out of the room. Since then, she's refused to see her husband. It's that idiotic smile that's to blame for it all, thought Stepan Akejevich. But what's to be done? What's to be done? He said to himself in despair, and found no answer. Stepan Akadjovic was a truthful man in his relations with himself. He was incapable of deceiving himself and persuading himself that he repented of his conduct. He could not at this date repent of the fact that he, a handsome, susceptible man of 34, was not in love with his wife, the mother of five living and two dead children, and only one year younger than himself all he repented of was that he had not succeeded better in hiding it from his wife, but he felt all the difficulty of his position and was sorry for his wife, his children and himself. Possibly he might have managed to conceal his sins better from his wife, if he had anticipated that the knowledge of them would have had such an effect on her. He had never clearly thought out the subject, but he had vaguely conceived that his wife must have long ago suspected him of being unfaithful to her, and shut her eyes to the fact. He had even supposed that she, a worn-out woman, no longer young or good-looking, or in no way remarkable or interesting, merely a good mother, ought from a sense of fairness to take an indulgent view. It had turned out quite the other way. Oh, its awful, Stefan Akejevich kept repeating to himself, and he could think of nothing to be done. And how well things were going up until now. How well we got on. She was content and happy in her children. I never interfered with her in anything. I let her manage the children and the house just as she liked. It's true, it's bad. Her having been a governess in our house. That's bad. There's something common and vulgar in flirting with one's governess. But what a governess? He vividly recalled the roguish black eyes of Mademoiselle Roland and her smile. But after all, while she was in the house, I kept myself in hand. And the worst of it all is that she's already... It seems as if ill luck would have it so. Oh, but what? What is to be done? There was no solution, but that universal solution which life gives to all questions. Even the most complex and insoluble, that answer is, one must live in the needs of the day. That is, forget oneself. To forget himself in sleep was impossible now, at least till nighttime. He could not go back now to the music sung by the decanter woman. So he must forget himself in the dream of daily life. And getting up, he put on a grey dressing gown lined with blue silk, tied the tassels in a knot and drawing a deep breath of air into his broad, bare chest. He walked to the window with his usual confident step, turning out his feet that carried his full frame so easily. He pulled up the blind and rang the bell loudly. It was at once answered by the appearance of an old friend, his valet, Matavi, carrying his clothes, his boots and a telegram. Matvey was followed by the barber with all the necessaries for shaving. Are there any papers in the office? Asked Stefan Lekajovic, taking the telegram and seating himself at the looking glass. On the table, replied Matavi. Glancing with inquiring sympathy at his master and after a short pause, he added with a sly smile, they've sent from the carriage jobbers. Stefan Lekajovic made no reply. He merely glanced at Matavi in the looking glass. In the glance in which their eyes met in the looking glass, it was clear that they understood one another. Stepan Akadjavich's eyes asked, Why do you tell me that, don't you know? Matavi put his hands in his jacket pocket, thrust out one leg, and gazed silently, good humoredly with a faint smile at his master. I told them to come on Sunday. Until then, not to trouble you or themselves for nothing," he said. He had obviously prepared the sentence beforehand. Stepan Akadzivich saw Matvi wanted to make a joke and attract attention to himself. Tearing open the telegram, he read it through, guessing at the words, misspelled as they always are in telegrams, and his face brightened. Matvi, my sister Anna Akadjevna, will be here tomorrow, he said checking for a minute the sleek, plump hand of the barber, cutting a pink path through his long, curly whiskers. Thank God, said Matavy, showing his response that he, like his master, realised the significance of this arrival. That is, that Anna Arkadyevna, the sister he was so fond of, might bring about a reconciliation between husband and wife. Alone or with her husband, inquired Matavy. Stepan Kajovic could not answer, as the barber was at work on his upper lip and he raised one finger. Matavi nodded at the looking glass. Alone? Is the room to be got ready upstairs? Inform Daria Alexandrovna where she orders. Daria Alexandrovna, Matavi repeated, as though in doubt. Yes, inform her. Here, take the telegram, give it to her, and then do what she tells you. Matvi understood, but he only said, yes, sir. Stefan Kajovic was already washed and combed and ready to be dressed, when Matvi, stepping deliberately in his creaky boots, came back into the room with the telegram in his hand. The barber had gone. Darya Alexandrovna told me to inform you that she's going away. Let him do, that is you, as he likes, he said, laughing only with his eyes and putting his hands in his pockets he watched his master with his head on one side. Stepan Akedjevich was silent a minute, then a good-humoured and rather pitiful smile showed itself on his handsome face. Matavi, he said, shaking his head. It's all right, sir. She will come round, said Matavi. Come round? Yes, sir. Do you think so? Who's there? Asked Stepan Akedjevich hearing the rustle of a woman's dress at the door. Its eye set a firm, pleasant woman's voice, and the stern, pockmarked face of Matrona Filiminova, the nurse, was thrust in at the doorway. Well, what is it, Matrona? queried Stepan Kajovic, going up to her at the door. Although Stepan Kajovic was completely in the wrong as regards his wife, and was conscious of this himself, almost everyone in the house, even the nurse, Darya Alexandrovna's chief ally, was on his side. "'Well, what now?' he asked disconsolately. "'Go to her, sir. Own your fault again. Maybe God will aid you. She's suffering so, it's sad to see her. And besides, everything in the house was topsy-turvy. You must have pity, sir, on the children. Beg her forgiveness, sir. There's no help for it. One must take consequences.' But she won't see me. You do your part, God is merciful. That'll do, you can go, said Stepan Akadjavich, blushing suddenly. Well now, do dress me, he turned to Matvey and threw off his dressing gown decisively. Matvey was already holding up the shirt like a horse's collar, and blowing off some invisible speck. He slipped it with obvious pleasure over the well-groomed body of his master. When he was dressed, Stepan Akadjavich sprinkled some scent on himself, pulled down his shirt cuffs, distributed into his pockets his cigarettes, pocketbook, matches, and a watch with a double chain and seals, and shaking out his handkerchief, feeling himself clean, fragrant, healthy, and physically at ease, in spite of his unhappiness. He walked with a slight swing on each leg into the dining room, where coffee was already waiting for him, and besides the coffee, letters and papers from the office. He read the letters, one was very unpleasant, from a merchant who was buying a forest on his wife's property. To sell this forest was absolutely essential, but at present, until he was reconciled with his wife, the subject could not be discussed. The most unpleasant thing of all was that his pecuniary interests should in this way enter into the question of his reconciliation with his wife, and the idea that he might be led on by his interests that he might seek a reconciliation with his wife on the account of the sale of the forest. That idea hurt him. When he had finished the letters, Stepan Akhejović moved the office papers close to him, rapidly looking through two pieces of business, made a few notes with a big pencil, and pushing away the papers, turned to his coffee. As he sipped his coffee, he opened a still damp morning paper, and began reading it. Stefan Hasevich took in and read a liberal paper, not an extreme one, but one advocating for the views held by the majority, and in spite of the fact that science, art, and politics had no special interest for him. He firmly held those views on all these subjects, which were held by the majority, and by his paper. He only changed them when the majority changed them. Or more strictly speaking, he did not change them. But they imperceptibly changed of themselves within him. Stepan Akadjovic had not chosen his political opinions or his views, these political opinions and views had come to him of themselves, just as he did not choose the shapes of his hat and coat, but simply took those that were being worn. And for him, living in a certain society, owing to the need ordinarily developed at years of discretion for some degree of mental activity, To have views was just as indispensable as to have a hat. If there was a reason for his preferring liberal to conservative views, which were held also by many of his circle, it arose not from him considering liberalism more rational, but from its being in closer accordance with his manner of life. The Liberal Party said that in Russia, everything is wrong. And certainly, Stepan Akadzhevich had many doubts, and was decidedly short of money. The Liberal Party said that marriage is an institution quite out of date, and that it needs reconstruction, and family life certainly afforded Stepan Akadziewicz little gratification, and forced him into lying and hypocrisy, which was so repulsive to his nature. The Liberal Party said, or rather allowed it to be understood, that religion is only a curb to keep in check the barbarous classes of the people. And Stepan Akadjavich could not get through even a short surface without his legs aching from standing up. He could never make out what was the object of the terrible and high-flown language about another world, when life might be so very amusing in this world. And with all of this, Stepan Akadjavich, who liked a joke, was fond of puzzling a plain man by saying that if he prided himself on his origin, he ought not to stop at Rurik and disown the first founder of his family the monkey. And so, liberalism had become a habit of Stepan Katovich, and he liked his newspaper, as he did his cigar after dinner, with a slight fog it diffused in his brain. He read the leading article, in which it was maintained that it was quite senseless in our day to raise an outcry that radicalism was threatening to swallow up all conservative elements, and that the government ought to take measures to crush the revolutionary hydra. That, on the contrary, in our opinion, the danger lies not in the fantastic revolutionary hydra, but in the obstinacy of traditionalism, clogging progress, etc, etc. He read another article too, a financial one, which alluded to Bentham and Mill, and dropped some innuendos reflecting on the Ministry. With his characteristic quick-wittedness, he caught the drift of each innuendo, divined whence it came and at whom and on what ground it was aimed, and that afforded him, as it always did, a certain satisfaction. But today, that satisfaction was embittered by Matrona Filumanovna's advice and the unsatisfactory state of the household. He read too that Count Beist was rumoured to have less for Wiesbaden, and that one needed to have no more gray hair, and of the sale of a light carriage, and of a young person seeking a situation, that these items of information did not give him, as usual, a quiet, ironical gratification. Having finished the paper, a second cup of coffee, and a roll in butter, he got up. Shaking the crumbs of the roll off his waistcoat and squaring his broad chest, he smiled joyously, not because there was anything particularly agreeable in his mind. The joyous smile was evoked by good digestion but this joyous smile at once recalled everything to him, and he grew thoughtful. Two childish voices, Stepan Kajovic recognized the voices of Grisha, his youngest boy, and Tanya, his eldest girl, were heard outside the door. They were carrying something and dropped it. I told you not to sit passengers on the roof, said the little girl in English. There, pick them up. Everything's in confusion, thought Stepan Akadjovic. There are children running about by themselves. And going to the door, he called them. They threw down a box that represented a train, and came in to their father. The little girl, her father's favourite, ran up boldly, embraced him, and hung laughingly on his neck. Enjoying, as she always did, the smell of the scent that came from his whiskers, at last the little girl kissed his face which was flushed from stooping posture and beaming with tenderness, loosened her hands and was about to run away again, but her father held her back. How is Mama, he asked, passing his hand over his daughter's smooth little neck. Good morning, he said, smiling to the boy who had come up to greet him. He was conscious that he loved the boy less and always tried to be fair, but the boy felt it and did not respond with a smile to his father's chilly smile. "'Mama, she's up,' answered the girl. Stefan Kajovic sighed. "'That means she's not slept again all night,' he thought. "'Well, is she cheerful?' The little girl knew that there was a quarrel between her father and mother, and that her mother could not be cheerful, and that her father must be aware of this, and that he was pretending when he asked about it so lightly, and she blushed for her father, he at once perceived it, and blushed too. I don't know, she said. She did not say we must do our lessons, but she said we were to go for a walk with Miss Houle to Grandma's. We'll go, Tanya, my darling. Oh, wait a minute, though, he said, still holding her and stroking her soft little hand. He took off the mantelpiece where he had put it yesterday, a little box of sweets, and gave it to her, picking out her favorites, a chocolate and a fondant. For Grisha, said the girl, pointing to the chocolate, Yes, and still stroking her little shoulder, he kissed her on the roots of her hair and neck and let her go. The carriage is ready, said Matsvi, but there's someone to see with a petition. Been here long? Asked Stefan Half an hour. How many times have I told you to tell me at once? One must let you drink your coffee in peace at least, said Matsvi, in the affectionately gruff tone with which it was impossible to be angry. Well, show the person up at once, said Oblonsky frowning with vexation. The petitioner, the widow of a staff captain, Kalinian, came with a request impossible and unreasonable. Bestepin the as he generally did, made her sit down, heard her to the end attentively without interrupting her, and gave her detailed advice as to how and to whom to apply, and even wrote her in his large, sprawling, good and legible hand, a confident and fluent little note a personage who might be of use to her. Having got rid of the staff captain's widow, Stepan Akadzhevich took his hat and stopped to recollect whether he had forgotten anything. It appears that he had forgotten nothing, except what he wanted to forget, his wife. He bowed his head, and his handsome face assumed a harassed expression. To go or not to go, he said to himself, and an inner voice told him he must not go that nothing could come of it but falsity. That to amend, to set right their relations was impossible because it was impossible to make her attractive again and able to inspire love, or to make him an old man and not susceptible to love. Except deceit and lying, nothing could come of it now and deceit and lying were opposed to his nature. It must be some time though, it can't go on like this, he said trying to give himself courage. He squared his chest, took out a cigarette, took two whiffs at it, flung it into a mother of pearl ashtray, and with rapid steps walked through the drawing room and opened the door into his wife's bedroom.